Good evening. It's great to see you this evening. Hope everyone's doing okay. We're going to be studying Colossians chapter 3. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn with me there. I hope that the word that I bring to you this evening is uh, helpful to you as it's helped me. Uh, we've been studying in Colossians 3 for a little while. Um, we're going to wrap up Colossians this time and move on to another book next time. But uh, I'm really excited about the study tonight. What should a Christian look like? If you were to picture in your mind a crowd of people, how would you distinguish? How would you know the Christian from the non-Christian? There's got to be some distinguishing characteristic that makes them Christians and truly Christians. And what what is that? What what ought to be different about a Christian? Uh, We might say, well, they need to be different like Jesus was different. And I think that's a way to put it that is summarizing the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. That this here is someone who follows after the life of Christ, who lives a life that resembles Christ. In John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Here Jesus tells us that Christians are going to be different, that those who follow Christ, those who are His disciples, are going to be different than those who are in the world. And those who are not Christians are under the category of being in the world. And the idea is that all those who are not followers of Christ... Once they see a Christian and their attributes will come to either hate him or her or they will embrace the things that they're doing. Last time in Colossians chapter 3, we looked at how uh, Paul says the same thing, that Christians are supposed to be different from the world, that they're supposed to put to death what is earthly inside of them, whereas all those who are of the world, those who are out living in the world without knowledge and, and understanding of Christ, without trying to follow after Christ, have earthly things inside of them, like anger and wrath and malice and, and covetousness and idolatry and sexual morality and all those kinds of things living inside of them, Christians are to put those things to death. And that's a very important distinguishing characteristic of one who is a follower of Christ. But that's only half the story. When we continue on in Colossians, we learn that not only are they supposed to put off all of those earthly things, but they're they're supposed to put on things that are Christ-like, heavenly kinds of things. This is what we're going to be studying about tonight. The things that Christians are to put on that that make them different. I'd like to start out by reading verse 12 and 13 of Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12 he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another... And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here in this text we see seven attributes of a Christian. 
But before he tells us the seven attributes, notice how he starts off. He says, put on then, and then he gives us this side note, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I love how Paul puts in these little side notes that that tell us a great deal. I mean, oftentimes in the past, I would just read right over these things and not pause to think about this. But he's reminding these Christians of who they are in the midst of telling them, put off what is earthly in you and put on what he's about to tell them to put on. He takes a break for a second and and helps them to be motivated. These are words of motivation. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, set apart, and beloved. This is motivation for the Christians. That that we might be willing to put off what is earthly inside of us, as hard as that will be. And that we might be willing to put on the seven attributes of a Christian that he describes in these verses. The first one that he mentions there is compassionate hearts. I'd like for us to think for a moment about someone we know of who is very compassionate. What that might look like to have a compassionate heart. What, what characteristics are, are making up the person? What do you see in the person that makes you think that's a compassionate heart? You might think of someone who is very caring, very sincerely concerned about the welfare of those who are weaker, those who are lower, those who by caring for them they have no benefit. But they love them and they want to help build them up in all their struggles and trials in this life. Compassion is, is an is a outpouring of care and concern that is seen in some acts of kindness. And that's the second thing that he mentions. Kindness is an act of a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart doesn't just say, man, I really wish that things would get better for you, but they do something in order to try to lift them up and to help them along their way. Kind of like what we see in the Good Samaritan. That the man was willing to give of his time and his energy and his resources in order to care for a man who was hurt and in need of serious care. So he tells us that Christians are to have compassionate hearts. And then he mentions some other internal uh, distinguishing marks. He talks about humility, meekness, and patience. These are internal attributes or attitudes that a Christian is supposed to have that makes the Christian different, that makes the Christian like Christ, that they don't think more of themselves than those around them, but that, like Philippians Two tells us they are like Christ. They are thinking more highly of others than of themselves and considering themselves as nothing in order to bear patiently with those around them. The idea of being patient is not selfishly demanding some change in someone else to suit our needs, (laughs) but being willing to wait and to allow for those who are around us to be changed to work with them and to do things for them that, that help them to grow. And he mentions two acts in this. He says, to bear with one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here are acts that show humility, that show meekness, that show patience. That even though someone has mistreated us, or even though someone has failed us miserably, we're willing to bear with them. In their struggles, recognizing that we ourselves are weak and that we ourselves have failed and we need forgiveness as well. 
here are seven attributes of a Christian. But whenever we look at these, we see that these are all things that that distinguish those who are in Christ from the world, but we still see in us that old man trying not to do these things, right? Trying not to put on all of these seven attributes. Well, notice what he says in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. After giving us this list of seven characteristics of a Christian, he tells us that there is one that is above all these, that we must put on. And this is, this is the attribute of a Christian that binds everything together and that binds it all to us. As a Christian, we are supposed to be bound and binding ourselves with love. We're binding compassionate hearts to ourselves. We're binding humility to ourselves. We're binding all forms of patience to ourselves through love. Love is this act that we're supposed to be putting on that that consistently shows humility and kindness toward others. Without love, we fail to be consistent. We fail to put these things on. If we don't have love, we may be compassionate one day and then the next day be wrathful toward those who are weaker than us. If we don't have genuine love within us, motivating all the things that we say or do, then these works of the flesh, these earthly things, will keep popping up in us. So Paul is helping us to develop by saying, we must put on love because it is the bond of perfection. That word perfection is the same word for maturity, for completion. Love is what completes us. Love is what bonds us together with one another and makes us whole, makes us mature, helps us to grow, and helps us to become what God has created us to be. Love is listed in the greatest of commandments. Love is said to be greater than faith and hope. Love is the chief characteristic of the Christian. But what is love? What does it mean to love? Wouldn't you say that our society is completely lost? When it comes to describing what love is. You don't have to watch many romantic movies to get the picture that they have no idea what love is. Fairy tales, I'm reading a book to Naomi about fairy tale princess, uh, love at first sight, you know, true love, all this kind of goofy stuff. They give this picture that love is some instinctual feeling. That I know this person is who I'm meant to be with and that they are going to make me happy for the rest of my life. (laughs) That's what Hollywood portrays love as. Is that real life? No, it's not. This is not the way love works out. In fact, Hollywood suffers from this. You see all the divorces, all the wrecked marriages throughout Hollywood because believing that it's some kind of an instinctual feeling and that this other person is going to make me happy every second of every day is unrealistic. 
And it's not a real definition of what love is. So our society is confused about love. What is love? Well, Paul doesn't describe it for us in this text. We can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and we can see some descriptions of love. But what Paul tells us in this text is how we can know what love is. Instead of telling us the descriptions of love, he tells us the source of where we must go to find out what love is. So how do we know what love is? Well, we're going to look more into this text. Look at verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, at first glance, we might look at this and think, well, that seems like he's saying something else. He's going in a different direction now. Peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. What's that got to do with love? But let's think about this a little bit, and let's evaluate what rules our hearts. What is it that is ruling our hearts? What's on the throne of our hearts? And what is this really saying whenever he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? Well, what is the peace of Christ? And how in the world is it supposed to rule in our hearts? This is a deep thought that we need to consider and think about. Paul helps us with this back in chapter 1 of Colossians. He says back in chapter 1 and verse 20, And through Him, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. What is the peace of Christ? The peace of Christ is the peace that Christ brought brought us and is bringing us through His crucifixion. This is the peace that that we have received because of the one great act that He has done, that He has allowed His pure and holy blood to be shed on a cross. And that blood that was there on that cross is able to bring about peace, ransom, atonement for our sins. We must ask the question, does that rule our hearts? Does this great act of love that was shown for us, the suffering of an innocent man who has known what it's like to be God but has been treated with such disgusting malice and wrath and slander, That He was willing to go through all of that, that He might show an ultimate form of love to each and every one of us. Does that rule on our hearts? The weight of what Jesus has done is supposed to be put on the throne of the Christian's heart. We must go to His cross to find freedom from anger, Malice, wrath, from covetousness and seeking after other things to find fulfillment. We must turn to His cross where the peace was made in order to have it on the throne of our heart to seek after God with all of our heart and to find the peace that we need. We must also go to the cross in order to understand what love is. This is the ultimate example for us to see love. 
And love is what binds everything else together. Love is what helps us to grow and helps us to mature and to become perfect. So we must, instead of putting other things on the throne of our heart, we must put Christ on the throne of our heart. We must meditate on this one act of love, accepting it as the gift from God to remove away all of our sins. Make us pure and holy and righteous and pure and and good in His sight. It's easy for us to do that on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. But Paul is calling for Christians to do that every day. Let the peace of Christ rule in our heart, be on the throne of our heart. When we leave this place, we may be tempted to put other things on the throne of our heart. We may be tempted to put relaxation on the throne of our heart. We may be tempted to put uh, entertainment on the throne of our heart. We may be tempted to put family on the throne of our heart or good pleasures in this life. We may be tempted to put our jobs on the throne of our heart. We may be tempted to put a million things on the throne of our heart. But God gave us His Son that we might put Him and what He has done on the throne of our heart. That it might encourage us to live a life that's pleasing. A life that's full of compassion and mercy and love. A life like Jesus. We have to let this great act of love direct our hearts. That every desire is determined by what He has done. Every thought is held captive from His sacrifice. Then in verse 16, He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here He's telling us to evaluate what's dwelling inside of us. In order for us to put on love, this is an important idea. Not just that the peace of Christ is on our heart, but that the Word of Christ is dwelling in us. Well, what is the Word of Christ? And and how does it dwell in us richly? The Word of Christ is not just a specific word that Christ said, love. (laughs) That's not what the Word of Christ is. But the Word of Christ is the totality of Christ's Word. All of the words that come out of Christ's mouth, all of the words that came out of His apostles' mouth, and even all the words that came out of the prophets' mouths. Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy 3 that all the Holy Scriptures were given that we might know Christ, the 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 wisdom and the faith of Christ might come through the understanding of His Word. That includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of the Word is there to show us who Christ is, what Christ came for. And essentially, He came to show us God. The Word of Christ is the revelation of God. Christ Himself in John 1 is called the Word of God. Is that dwelling inside of us? When we look at it this way, we don't just think of the Word of Christ as being some specific word that He said, but as the totality of Scriptures and how they've all been revealing to us the image of the glory of God, that we might know God, that we might understand Him better, that we might become like Him. And we see that we need to make room for God's Word. And that... 
It's enough to fill us and then some. We can fill our whole bodies with God's Word. We can fill our whole minds with God's Word. And there's still more to learn. Notice how he words this. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell. Dwell. Let it live inside of you. Make room. Accommodate the Word of Christ coming in. Make sure that it's able to get inside of you. And not just giving it a little, ple- a little place in your body, but let it dwell in you richly. Let it fill you up. Let it be all throughout your body. John MacArthur uh, put it like this. He said, when they cut us, we bleed Bible verses. <laughs> I thought that was a cool picture of what, what Paul is trying to help us see here that The Word needs to be so in us that it's throughout our entire body. It's richly in us. It's on our minds. We're meditating on it. And the more we understand about what is spiritual, the more spiritual we become. We're filling our minds and our hearts and our lives with earthly things. We're filling our bodies with earthly things. We're going to be earthly. But if we fill our hearts and our minds with knowledge of who God is, of His steadfast love for us, we're going to be full of love. We're going to be able to understand what love is. It's interesting that Paul doesn't explain love is patient, love is kind, love suffers long, it bears all things. He doesn't go through that here. But he just says to know God. And let Him live inside of us. Let Him fill us. Because love is difficult for us to understand until we know God. God is love. Love is God. To know love is to know God. To know God is to know love. The reason why the world is so confused is because they don't know God. They don't understand what He has done for us. We need the peace of Christ reigning in our hearts. And we need the Word of God dwelling richly in our bodies. What can help us to do that? What can, what can put these things in us so that, so that they're always there and so that love is coming out in everything we do? We want the peace of Christ and the Word of Christ to be in us fully so that we are able to love as Christians are called to love. To be a Christian means to love. To be a Christian means to be like Christ. And Paul's helping us understand the process here. That we're being renewed by the knowledge of the image of our Creator, as he said in verse 10. That we're growing and understanding more and more about God. So our study is obviously a part of that, but there's more that he tells us in verse 16. Look at also in verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here he tells us two things that really help us to get the peace of Christ in our heart, ruling in our heart, and the Word of God, the Word of Christ throughout our body. First of all, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He gives us so much value here for our songs. 
Do we take our songs seriously? Do we take singing together and and singing our songs in general as something that's extremely important to getting the peace of Christ ruling in my heart and the Word of Christ dwelling throughout my body richly? The words that we sing to one another have a profound impact because these are concentrated pieces of wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Scripture. They're like many commentaries that we're reading and singing to one another in a way that stays in our minds and impacts our heart. Our songs get deeper than the words sometimes do and we're just speaking to one another. Our songs have a profound impact. You think about Amazing Grace. How big of an impact has the, have the words of Amazing Grace had on the lives of those around us and on ourselves? These words form our character and they form our beliefs. They help us see things in a whole new light. I remember uh, whenever I was younger, getting on a debating website, a Christian debating website, and I'm like, I'm going to tell all these people what to believe and all this stuff. And as I'm there debating, somebody just responds, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. And I was being self-righteous, and He pointed that out to me. I was being self-righteous. And that song is in my head, and I'm thinking about it every time I have that tendency to be self-righteous now. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. I'm not going to put myself on the throne of my heart. I'm not going to think that it's what I do that makes me pleasing to God, that I'm so great or so wonderful. But I'm going to put the peace of Christ on my heart. And that song helped me to do that. Our songs are extremely valuable for helping us to understand the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And also for helping us to understand all of Christ's Word and how we can live it out in our lives. The second thing he mentions here is having thankfulness in our hearts. Thankfulness is mentioned three times in this text. And you get the picture that the attitude of thankfulness is extremely important in becoming a person who has love in their heart. If we're not thankful, we're not going to be very loving people. Because thankfulness is a recognition of what God has done on our behalf. And not just a recognition, but an appreciation for it. Thankfulness shows that what He has done has impacted us. And that we're dwelling on it, that we're meditating on it, that we're thinking about it. Oftentimes, if I'm failing to love my neighbor as God has loved me, it's because I'm not thankful enough for what God has done. Being thankful to God for what He has done for me makes me understand my forgiveness. You you noticed that earlier in the text. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Thankfulness helps me to to digest the Word and to, to make it a part of me and to help it to stick. I'm dwelling on what God has done and what God has revealed in His Word about His Christ, my Savior. And I'm making it more and more part of me every day. The last verse of this section is verse 17. And he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Back in verse 4 he said, When Christ who is your life appears. All of this is telling us about Christ being our life. We're putting off what is earthly in us and we're putting on love. By putting on the peace of Christ, we're putting it in the throne of our heart. By putting on the word of Christ, letting it dwell in us richly. And then the outpouring is the name of Christ is proclaimed in how we live. Whatever we do in word or deed, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our co-workers, our employers, our employees. He goes on to say, always being done in a way that sheds the light of Christ in us. That others might see His glory, His love, His compassion, His patience, His kindness, His humility, His meekness, His bearing, His forgiveness. This is what makes Christians different. This is what makes us stand out from the world around us. And unfortunately, this is what makes them hate us. Because by showing them love, we help them see the gap between them and Christ and them and God. But this is how we love as Christ loves. We're not here to make everybody feel bad about their failures. We're here to just shine the light of love to those around us that they might understand our God, that they might be filled with peace, and that they might understand the love that God has for them as well. This is the sum total of our life here on earth, that we are to live. We may overemphasize love, but I don't really think you can. We can just misconstrue love as something other than what it really is. And and what it really is is the sacrifice that Christ has shown us on our behalf. And that's what's supposed to be seen in us as we live out our lives on the earth. God has called us to put on a new heart, a new life that's lived for Him and not for ourselves. To seek the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. To dwell on His Word, to dwell on His peace that He gives us. Is that what you're doing? And if it's not, can we help you with that? We'd love to help you if we can. Please come as we stand.